Our learning objective is to compute the tax consequences associated with investing in various types of bonds, including a tax equivalent yield. Now, with regard to taxation of bond interest, municipal bonds are normally uh, exempt from federal taxation. It's possible that you may have to pay state and local income taxes on the interest income from municipals, but you do not have to pay federal income tax. Hence, we normally refer to municipals as being tax exempt, even in some cases where they are not 100% tax exempt. With regard to treasury bonds and federal agency bonds, the, although the interest is subject to federal taxation, you are exempt from state and local taxation on this interest income. So technically, you could think of treasuries as being also tax exempt. But because the state and local income tax bite is usually so small relative to the federal income tax bite, we just overlook that aspect. Now, bonds of government-sponsored corporations are not exempt from state and local taxation. And so when you are buying a bond that is not a treasury bond, but it is a bond from an entity that is affiliated with the government, you, you have to be sure to understand whether what you are buying is a federal agency bond or if it's a bond of a government-sponsored corporation. Now, some states only tax uh, the income from dividends and interest and do not tax uh, wage income. So that can make, uh, if you, that means that if you are living off of your investment income in one of those states, you will have a much larger tax bite than uh, your neighbors. The cost basis of bonds can be a little tricky because when you buy a bond, there are normally three components to what you have to pay. You have to pay the price of the bond itself, you have to pay a commission, and you have to pay any accrued interest on that bond. Because remember, when you're trading bonds, uh, the exchange on which the bond is traded will track the accrued interest since the last interest payment date. The cost basis then is simply the price of the bond itself plus the commission paid to acquire the bond. Now, when you pay the accrued interest, that means you will be entitled to the entire uh, six months worth of interest when the issuer makes the next interest payment. And when you go to file your tax return, what you then do is you offset the interest that you received by the accrued interest that you paid. So it's sort of like an itemized deduction, but it works directly in conjunction with your other interest income. So in effect, you uh, get a deduction for the accrued interest paid. It's not part of the cost basis of the bond. When you're trading in uh, municipal bonds, it is important to understand what we refer to as the tax equivalent yield. And the issue is that when you're looking at municipal bonds, you have uh, a trade-off between the fact that normally the income on municipal bonds is tax exempt, 
but the yield on uh, municipal bonds is lower. So the real question is, what's the after-tax yield on the taxable bond, or what's the tax equivalent yield on the municipal bond? And uh, if you want to compute the tax equivalent yield, what you have to do then is to divide the yield, uh, the nominal yield on the state and local debt, that is the municipal bond, by one minus the investor's marginal tax rate. The tax equivalent yield can then be compared directly with the yield on a taxable bond. When you have zero coupon bonds, uh, what happens is that, that there is an imputed interest uh, associated with these bonds. The imputed interest is based on the yield to maturity at the time that the bonds were initially sold. And so each year, the issuer of the bond is allowed to take a tax deduction equal to the imputed interest associated with that bond and the investor technically would have to declare the imputed interest as ordinary income even though no actual interest payment was received. Now, it's sort of awkward to pay taxes on uh, income that you didn't actually get in the form of cash, and so uh, the recommendation is always if you're going to invest in zero coupon bonds, then you, it is best to do these in a tax-qualified account so that you don't have to declare uh, the phantom interest income. Uh, zero coupon bonds, I should note, are a bad choice for people in, in high tax brackets from the perspective of tax efficiency. Now, sometimes with bonds, you, you get what is known as a tax coupon effect. These are bonds that were originally issued at par, but because the uh, market interest rates have gone up substantially since the bonds were issued, the prices of these bonds have fallen to substantial discounts from par. And it means that investors who are willing to buy these bonds, which would have relatively low coupon rates at the time, but trade at a substantial discount, it means that investors willing to buy these are taking a substantial portion of their profit from the bond in the form of guaranteed price appreciation if they hold the bond to maturity. And as we've seen, price appreciation is capital gain and that is normally taxed at a much lower rate than ordinary income. And so for investors in very high tax rates, it can be very attractive to buy deep discounted bonds. And as a result of this, these bonds will actually trade at a slightly lower yield to maturity than other bonds of comparable risk. And it's a lower yield to maturity because a good portion of that yield is capital gain income, not interest income. So, Deep discounted bonds are particularly attractive to people in the higher tax brackets. When considering investment in bonds versus investment in equities, 
one of the decisions that you have to make is if you have some qualified accounts, one or more qualified accounts, and one or more non-qualified accounts, then which securities, if you're going to hold both bonds and stocks, which securities should be held in which account? Well, the standard recommendation on this is you always should hold securities with high current income, that typically means bonds, in your tax qualified account. And the reason is that the interest income would be taxed as ordinary income anyway, and when you make withdrawals from tax qualified accounts, it will be treated as ordinary income. So the ultimate tax consequence is the same um, on, the, on the treatment of the interest income. Now, on the flip side, you should hold securities which produce capital gains, that means, of course, stocks, and the ability to defer recognition uh, of the capital gain in your non-qualified or taxable account. And by holding it in your non-qualified account, then the capital gain uh, treatment with the, with the lower marginal tax rate would apply when you sell the stock, and you've also got a, a tremendous ability to control when you recognize that capital gain. If you hold stocks in qualified accounts, then when you ultimately withdraw money, uh, the dividend income you would have received and would have been taxed at a lower rate, and the capital gain that would have been taxed at a lower rate will now be taxed as ordinary income. There is one caveat to this strategy, and that is, keep in mind, it is a tax strategy. And in the end, we never want to let simply tax strategy dominate our investment strategy. And so the real issue for an investor should start with what percentage of your portfolio do you want in equities and what percentage do you want in bonds? And then you try and reconcile that percentage allocation with how much money is in your qualified account and how much is in your non-qualified. And invariably it'll turn out that uh, what's the optimal asset allocation with regard to risk tolerance does not always exactly match the optimal asset allocation with regard to tax efficiency, and therefore uh, there are trade-offs that will have to be made. Let's consider some true-false questions. Interest income on Treasury bonds is exempt from state and local taxation. That would be true. The cost basis of a bond, like stock, is a total amount paid when the bond is purchased. This one's false because when you buy a bond, you will normally pay accrued interest, and that is not part of the cost basis. Zero coupon bonds should be held in a qualified account. That is correct. Most of the time, you would hold a zero coupon bond in a qualified account as opposed to a non-qualified account. 